everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, fresh off of a doubleheader where I was at Lone Depot Park for close to 15 hours. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, how are you? Um, um, I want people to know that as he says that, we're recording this bright and early in the morning on Tuesday morning. So, you know, props to props to Jordan for being so, you know, so so spry right now after 15 hours at the ballpark, especially especially watching those games, even though the, the finale was a little more exciting. Yeah, the finale was good. We got an eight run fifth inning, which that eight runs, I think, accounted for all the runs that they were allotted for the week based off of performance since the all star break. But. Hey, I'll take the action when I can when I can see it, especially at this they, point. They got their quota in one shot there, so that that that's kind of what they've done this year. They've had spurts, but mm-hmm. the spurts have been few and far between. So, hence the problem we're going to get into. But I know the big part of what we want to talk about today is uh, our colleague Barry Jackson's exclusive interview with Marlins owner Bruce Sherman, who doesn't really give a lot of interviews, at least not like this. You know, he gives a lot of group interviews, maybe once or twice a year, but in a one-on-one, even though it was, it was via email, but still a sort of virtual one-on-one setting, I guess you could call it. He gave some gave some insight a little bit on at least who was going to stay, or at least who's planned to stay, and others who he didn't really say are going to stay. So it kind of makes you wonder probably if they're out the door. But, you know, I know that was one of the big thing we wanted to focus on in this episode. Yeah, definitely. And like you mentioned, Bruce Sherman, he normally does a general address during spring training. He did one at the press conference that announced uh, Sandy Alcantara's extension, Avisel Garcia signing, and maybe does one toward the end of the year if there's an extension or something like that. If I remember, I believe he was at the Miguel Rojas Don Mattingly extension. I wasn't at that press conference. I'm just trying to run back off memory from 2019. But yeah, they are very few and far in between. So the fact that he did do this interview, albeit email interview, he still gave some pretty substantive answers for the most part. Kept yeah. a few things to the side, specifically the question that Barry always wants to know about, we all want to know about, is payroll yeah. going to increase? And he danced around that answer like he danced around everything else. But a lot of other things, specifically when asked, does he have intention to sell the team after five years and this thing going nowhere? He flat out said, I've never considered selling the team. I'm more deeply invested in this the success now more than ever, which, okay, the words are there. Now let's see what happens when you go into the offseason after yet another season of sub-500 success in a time when this was supposed to be the year where they make the jump. Now that that's directly out there and his words are there, that's what we need to start seeing is yeah. – is, how is he gonna how far does that deep investment go right and i mean he can say that now but obviously stuff is going to happen behind the scenes and in the next year or two things can easily change you know and and there could be even now it could he could be saying that for the moment but you know if he were to sell things obviously have to happen things need to be put in motion and that takes some time that's a process we'll see We'll see. I mean, it it surprises me if this uh, this is just my opinion. I it would surprise me if if it's the same in say two three years, as far as who owns the team. But I could be wrong. Maybe he is that invested. We'll see. Uh, but definitely, this can't. This is long overdue to 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 change, and you can't be stuck in this rut. 
continuously the way they are. And yeah, I mean, offense is at the heart of it, as we saw. I mean, yeah, I mean, you could blame it on injuries, but injuries happen all around the league. And there's a lot of teams that you've seen that have been wrecked by injuries and still find a way to figure it out, still find a way to press on. Maybe their performance is hindered to a degree, but not like this. You know, I mean, I think, of, you know, our the Marlins neighbors to the not so far northwest of the state are a good example of that this year. They were wrecked. And then look how they've, you know, they may not win the division, but look how they made it a fight toward the end, capitalizing on on how the front-running Yankees have fallen, but the Rays are right in, and they had a ton of injuries. They were, that that's just one example. And it just shows you, like, this, the decisions they made in the offseason, I mean, I don't think they, you know, they, they didn't, a couple of guys didn't work out. I mean, I know Jorge Soler got hurt, which didn't help. But, you know, the obvious sale of Garcia, part of it was a big disappointment. So, again, you're, you're, left, with, you're left with a half- a half good franchise in the sense of the pitching. And even on that side of it, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, but you know, it's not as deep as it was. I mean, it really isn't. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I think there, there's still a few that you look forward to in the minor league system that are on the way up. Yuri Perez is one of those guys, but we're not talking about how we were, we're not talking about it the way we were like in 2019 or even 2020, where we were like, wow, there's about there, there's this guy, this guy, this guy coming up, and you're really excited there. So there's a lot of questions. That I think the internal changes are going to be the interesting thing to follow, and I think you're going to have your hands full. I think in once that comes oh, around, yeah. like October, November, just kind of keeping track. I mean, I mean, even I'd be really surprised at this point if if Don Mattingly is still the manager next year. You know, I hope he hope he lands on his feet, whatever he ends up wanting to do or is able to do, because you know always was like a very tough spot during these last few years. And, you know, obviously we know after 2016 and what happened with Jose, that was the big chance to take a team to another level, you know, but since then it's been a real tough situation just to be able to, to fight their way out of this rut. And they really haven't been able to. So, you know, let's, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And to go back to a few of your points uh, on the player side, the minor league side, your impress is great, but is he going to hit two run home runs, driving 55, 55, 60, 70 guys? No, right. Again, that's right. the big problem. I mean, we see the rotation. Right. We see that that's not a problem. The Marlins are actually at the point after calling Braxton Garrett or adding Braxton Garrett back from the IL. They have six starters on their in the rotation right now. They very no, well could be going six right. at this point. They right. again, but looking at the bats and the ones that are developing or really are not developing, that's been one of the biggest crux in addition to not signing any damn bats that could actually give you that, give them a chance. When you look at, you mentioned the team to the Northwest and the state, look at the team, a state, a state North of them and how every one of their young guys seems to, seems to work out. The Marlins can't find one that works out from being a homegrown person from draft or international free agency to making it all the way to the big leagues and panning out. They don't have that. The closest they have right now is Gerard, who, again, I like the power potential, but when you're hitting below the Mendoza line, there's really not much we can really <laughs> hype up. Yeah. Uh, J.J. Bleday's got the plate discipline, but he's still striking out 35-40% of the time. He still hasn't made that jump. Their most successful guy from their group they called up is Charles LeBlanc, who they acquired through the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft in December. 
And even he's he had that great run the first 13 games and then fell off, which, yeah. again, once the league adjusted, he hasn't responded, which has been the problem with basically every Marlins hitting prospect that comes up. They start right. off hot and then the league adjusts and they don't adjust back or yeah. they take forever to get up here. And when they do get up here, they just they just flame out right away. Yeah. And to top to top it off. You're not this entire this entire second half of the season is by far not the ideal situation to be developing oh, guys in this terrible lineup in the way that the just these just the psychological constant losing of this team right now. This is not not the environment to, to develop guys to begin with. And then on top of that, like you're saying, none of these it's not they don't have that one you don't see that homegrown player that comes up gets it and yes everyone even those guys have a little bit of a of a of time that they need to progress and develop and learn and the league adjust and whatnot but then they fight through it and then you hear about them and then suddenly their mainstays on their teams that just hasn't really happened i mean the one guy through a trade is jazz and even jazz has had his moments too where he's a little bit struggled a little bit on the hitting side but he's the only one you could point to and say okay now you look at him and he's your long-term shortstop there. But other than that, I mean, that's, that's the big, that's the big issue. It's like, we're, we're here in year five and still waiting for, you know, where's that surplus on that side of it. And that's what I meant before on the pitching side is just that used to be the lean, like, you know, boasting this great deep staff, which even now isn't as deep as it was. Yeah. Yeah. And now to go back to the other point of moves are going to be made. I mean, uh, from everything that's been gathered, Kim Ang is expected to be back for her third year as general manager, which should be expected. I mean, if you look at year one when she was GM, everything ran through Derek Jeter. So who knows exactly how much control she had in those decision make in that decision making. Same with everything up to when Derek Jeter left right before the lockout ended and spring training started, which is when the, really the only moves they made from that point on, we're signing Jorge Soler and trading for Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer. So the moves beforehand, again, it's hard to tell exactly how much of the roster construction was done with her getting, or how much of the final say that she had, which means this upcoming offseason will be really critical to being able to start a true evaluation process for how well Kim Ang can do as a general manager. And it's also going to be interesting to see how she does when the staff around her, what, how much of an overhaul there is around her. The main people, I mean, she appears, she seems to be safe, as does COO Caroline O'Connor, who's been handling the business side since Derek Jeter left. But everyone else, I mean, you can look at, I could easily see moves being made in the analytics department. You're definitely, I feel like there should be moves made in the player development side whether it's from the top or trickling on down after seeing how the lack of development after how hyped the Marlins minor league system has been as they revamped it over these five years and did not see any true results on the hitting side specifically changes need to be made there. I mean, they're at the point where they're at the point where they can't just keep hovering around and going, Oh, well this happened and this happened and this happened. We'll try again next year. It's basically, it's the definition of insanity. You're repeating. If yeah. You're repeating the same thing, expecting different results. It's not the, going to work. That you have to do make a change in the real managers of the team. Yes, as we've talked about, 
Yeah. You know, because Donnie, Donnie, not just Donnie, but managers in baseball pretty much in general have now become glorified caretakers and locker room, locker room guys, you know, locker room coaches at, at this point, you know, they're, they're, they're being told how to make their lineups and, and, and the day-to-day operation and everything, you know, so that, that is the, that is the core of it. You know, that clearly hasn't worked, you know, anywhere near the degree that they were hoping for. And yeah, I think that's where the house cleaning definitely has to happen, you know, to, for this team. I mean, whether, whether Donnie's the manager or not, I don't think it's going to make that huge of an impact to be honest. And that it's a shame because you don't, not just him, but you see a lot of guys who probably, you know, the way it was before, had good managerial instincts, you know, the Dusty Bakers of the world and guys of that's, you know, the guys with that kind of experience. And that's going away the way the, the way the game has changed. So. Again, that's why, again, we talked about it with Joe Madden last week and just him being open about it now that he, after he got fired by the Angels, just the basically saying the part that he couldn't say while he was under contract, being able to finally put it all out there about, yeah, it's a, to the point where, Hey, maybe the main person in analytics or the general manager should be wearing the uniform, being on the field and taking, feeling the questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, and, and he, one of the, one of the, this is coming from one of the best managers in the game. So, I mean, yeah, that's a way, but in general, I mean, going back to the the main point here, I think, yes, that's the, the two critical areas for sure that have clearly knocked work, not worked, and especially on the, on the, on the development side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I know that's going to sort of jump us to the next segment, which we were going to talk about uh, the the rule changes coming in baseball, which is kind of interesting. I think one of them applies in the sense of analytics where they're going to ban shifting, which has been a huge part of how teams approach everything now. So now we're going back to old school. You know, if you're a lefty, if you're a lefty, you got to be celebrating, yeah. thinking, oh, my God, the right field is back open. <laughs> You know, or at least, so, or at least, mostly compared to how it's been. Yeah, yeah. The rule changes that are going. In fact, there are a few of them, and we'll try to t- try dive into each of them. We'll start with the shift, like Andre said. It's basically two out. You have to have two two players on each side of second base and on the infield dirt. So no more of that third guy hovering in that shallow right field. Um, no more Brian right field Anderson area. running from third in the shallow right. Like he's like, he's, so like he's Brian. Right. Yeah. No, Brian Anderson playing both positions. The Marlins think he can play simultaneously. Right. No, <laughs> no fourth out, no fourth outfielder. You can do a nope. fifth out. You can do the fifth infielder in those close situations though. It's just a mm. minimum of two on each side. So you can do a fifth. But infielder. It's somewhat, can, yeah. But it's somewhat, yeah. it's still going to somewhat reduce the fact that like every time you're putting four guys all the way, all the way to the right, you have yeah. one guy practically in foul ground down the first mm-hmm. baseline almost yeah. and, and yeah. making it impossible for righties and, and leaving even, a, a huge chasm on the left side, yeah. which nobody what, ever hits it to. Yeah. One of my favorites is still the Manny Machado when he was like basically in deep right field. And end up making yeah. like a 354 foot pop out to, to the third <laughs> baseman in right field. 
yeah. I'm so, gonna miss. I'm gonna miss the the routine grounder to 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 the third base side, the little bleeder up the up the third base line that's gonna sit there all by itself and 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 just mm-hmm. like die on the infield grass because no one's even near. I'm gonna miss that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, it seems to, I mean, it's probably just anecdotal, but it seemed like every time the Marlins shifted, or a fair amount of times the Marlins shifted when they didn't need to, it came, it came back to bite them in the ass. Just, mm-hmm. and it'll yeah. be interesting, it'll be interesting to see, I, again, I should have pulled up the numbers, and I'll end up probably doing that in a story later on to actually break down how this stuff should help them out, or hinder them, but mm-hmm. it's, you look at a lot of the situations when you have a ground ball pitcher on the mound who he knows where he, where he needs his spots and gets burned by the shift because they shifted him and a left-handed hitter hits it, hits it, beats the shift when regular formation would have gotten the easy out. Oh, you mean your Cy Young favorite who is the king of double plays? He's one of them. And then I also think specifically of Richard Blyer and the relief side of it. Oh, he's, that's yeah. That was on the relief side for sure. Yeah, I mean, no, because again, he's a guy who's sixty percent ground balls, and again, with a lefty, with the lefty lefty matchups, they have the shift going with everyone on the right side, and he gets a ground ball. He makes the pitch, gets the ball that to hit for the for the lefty to hit it where it should be on basically where short shops should be, and there's no shortstop there, or the third baseman covering shortstop because the shortstop's standing next to the second baseman now. But the shift will be interesting. The other one, which I know from a media standpoint, I'm ecstatic about, pitch clock. We are going to be, I believe the numbers are 15 seconds when there's no one on base and 19 seconds when there are runners on base. You can only release from the mound twice. I believe you can only throw throw over for pickoff attempts a certain amount of times, mm-hmm. which that's going to be interesting to me. If when you have a guy like a John Birdie on base, it's going to bring stolen. That's going to give you a chance for your speedsters to actually start stealing bases again. Hmm. I, I I I love this because I, you know, I, I the power game is is one thing, but the way it's it's just a home run or a strikeout most of the time. I I, I like you need to incorporate some of that old school baseball and, and bring back some of that. And I think this is going to facilitate having a mixture of all of that back, you know, where you're still going to have the power game, but less strikeouts and a little more of the the, str- the strategy going on of stealing bases and whatnot. I love it. And then the pitch clock just, I mean, you and I have both seen it at the minor league level this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a, I went to a game, I went to a jumbo shrimp game up in Jacksonville an hour and 45. Granted, it was a one nothing game, but it flew. My wife and I looked at each other at, at 8.45 that night. It was a seven o'clock start. We were like, we're in the ninth, and I, and said a word I can't say on this show. Or I shouldn't say on this show, <laughs> you know. And, and let's just say the fireworks, the fireworks show that night. It was on the Fourth of July, and the fireworks were going off already at nine fifteen because the game just breezed by. So, I mean, that's an extreme example because of the one nothing. But in general, you're just going to avoid most of these four hour unnecessary marathons where you know, the game just drags and drags, especially it's not, a lot of times it happens, it doesn't even happen in a good game. Like sometimes you might have a good back and forth, maybe like a 12-11 game that's exciting, but a lot of times it's just a route and it just won't end. And, and, and I know the Marlins have been on the receiving end of a lot of those this year, you know. No, I mean, so. I was at one of those minor league routes just a few days ago. I went up on Saturday to see Yuri Perez pitch for the Jupiter Hammerheads, his first game in the month for going out of the rehab outing. 
Final score of that game was 14 to one. There was an hour rain delay in before or during the third inning. Even with the delay, it was a three and a half hour game. So remove the rain delay, a 14 to one game was basically two and a half hours. Yeah, that's a five hour experience minimum if if, under normal circumstances. Oh, yeah. And just to top off, since I mentioned Jerry Perez and Andre mentioned him earlier, uh, two scoreless innings, gave up one hit, struck out four of the seven batters he faced. And this was after he missed a month with a minor shoulder injury. And honestly, it's good to see him back now because double-A Pensacola has one more week of the regular season and then they're in the playoffs. Hey, again, at least we get one playoff team in this organization this season. So this I'm happy for the panhandle. They get to see what we don't see down here in Miami. Yeah, but with Yuri being able to go Saturday, it gives them a chance to get one more start in double-A and then potentially be available for one of those best-of-three playoff games and close the season on a high note, close the season healthy, close the season on the mound, which for the Marlins' top prospect, for the number 10 overall prospect in baseball, to see that and to see one of the few highlights left in that minor league in that minor league system, to have him finish on a high note and go into the offseason healthy and feeling good, that is that is much needed. Yeah, and, and in all seriousness, it is good experience for him to pitch in those types of games. You know, I know, I know people say, oh, it's the minor league playoffs. But, you know, you, you get that little bit of that, you know, more urgent game more urgent situation sense when you're on the mound. And that's good. That's a good experience for a guy like him at this point in his career, you know, developing in that stage. So, so that that's definitely going to be beneficial. Yeah. And one other thing on the pitch clock to wrap this up before going on to the final rule change, uh, pitchers need to be ready to, to pitch with, I believe it's nine seconds on the clock and hitters will need to be in the box with at least eight seconds on the clock. So again, the pitch clock impacts the hitters as much as it does the pitchers, which right. means when a pitch goes inside and you see players reacting and doing their loop around the base, uh, loop around home plate and doing all their shaking off, if they're not in the box with eight seconds left, it's an automatic strike against them. If the mm. pitcher doesn't get their pitch off by the time the clock yeah. ends, it's an automatic ball. So yeah. again, it works both ways. And we've both seen few certain players that seem to – take their sweet, precious time getting back into the box after yeah. almost each pitch or something or heaven forbid anything go slightly inside against them. I can't wait for the first tirade because this happens and someone thinks I didn't take it. I didn't, I didn't take too much time. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's going to happen. Oh, that's yeah. going to be funny. That's going to happen. But yeah, another one that I don't think a lot of people like, People that don't follow baseball as closely might not be aware of it. I think uh, if you want to explain what how this one's going to work, the bigger bases. Yeah. Yeah. How so much the, bigger bases? Are we talking Jose Altuve standing on top of the base with two feet and perfectly fitting on top of him? Or what are we? <laughs> yeah, it's not drastically changing. The bases as they are right now are 15 square inches. They're expanding to 18 square inches. So, okay, three so, yeah. so people inches, out there, just so I know, that, that's why I wanted you to say it, yeah. because I think people have this this weird idea of, like, the base being able to be seen from the top of the stadium no. now. No, like so, like, like, no, we're not talking about – it's not going to be that much of a change, but no, it's slightly. Not, it's not really – it's not massively big. It is enough to potentially make bang-bang plays that are already close to sway them probably more towards the runner. Than, yeah. And it's also – it helps health-wise in terms of like yeah. the bags being bigger, especially for first base. When you have the runner coming down, the first base will be slightly farther away from the runner. So 
able to get the ball a little bit quicker, a little bit shorter right. of a throw, less collisions. Although yeah. I need the speaking of collision, I need to throw back to last series in Philly. Shout out to Richard Blyer, who we've already mentioned on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Seventh inning, Brandon Marsh ground ball down the line. Blyer grabbed it, had no idea where the bag was, so just ran and dove to the bag and tackled Brandon Marsh and got the out and got the out as they collided at the base because Blyer got there first. So he looked it was like also, he was, yeah, he, he looked like he was on kickoff coverage. Yeah, right no, there. and the like, thing is, and the thing is, it happened about an hour after Thursday night kickoff. So Thursday night football kicked yeah. off. So it was perfect. It was perfect timing, and and it's just a reminder that baseball players sometimes can be athletes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. but no, no, that was a good. Yeah. That was interesting. I saw it. I was like, oh wow, like it almost took him out, and yeah, the kickers, kickers covering kick on uh, on the coverage team. Probably had to be proud of him for that one yeah. for sure. But no, but I, I this whole again, that's another rule that is going to help. You know the base running, and again, just kind of like a little bit of bringing back some of the elements that made baseball fun. You know, besides the besides the home run game. You know, so I I, I like it. I, I'm I'm interested to see how a lot of this is going to work, and I think you know all that's left now is is the robo umps if that's yeah. going to happen or not. Yeah, and it still feels like it's in a matter of when, not if, with those. Right. Just since again, they've been experimenting with them in, uh, in the in single A. When I was at Jupiter, I actually got to see how some of it worked. Where, uh, the way that it was explained to me is they have in their six game schedule over a week. If I'm right, it's one or two games where it's solely the umpire. One or two game, I believe it's two games where it's the umpire doing it traditionally. Two games where it's no matter what, whatever the automatic ball strike system says goes. And when I was there Saturday, each team is able to challenge calls. They get, I think it's three challenges each. And it's literally if hitter thinks, if a pitch was called a strike and the hitter thinks it's a ball, all he has to do is tap his head. And the umpire turns around, points up to the press box area where all the results are happening. And the person next to him goes, yeah, that was a strike. And then if it was if it confirms it, they lose one of the challenges. If it's reversed, they hold on to that challenge, and they basically get to keep them until they have three that are basically three mistakes that or three challenges that aren't overturned. So it gives you the chance to get your second chance, which right. basically it's a way this to test how good is the batter's eye versus the 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 robotic umpire, and also right. and those adjustments and those challenges also get the. I'm assuming are going to be playing a part with the adjustments to try to get the the robotic ump to be as close to perfect as possible. Which again, yeah. getting getting the in-game, in-moment perspective of it to me, that's beneficial. And it didn't really take up time too; it was maybe five seconds total. Which we see yeah. how long some of these challenges drag in the big leagues for mm-hmm. for plays. A lot of times that are just routine. So for this. Uh, again, I've been on board with the Robo Ums for a while now. I'm ready to see how it goes. And for me, it's just, again, like I said, a matter of when, not if. Yeah, usually I'm not much for baseball, which loves to tinker with its with its game over and over and over in many different ways. But this wave of rule changes that we just went over, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think some of them are needed. And I'm curious to see the effect it's going to have. I hope it's a positive effect, though, honestly. Yeah, for me, it basically is just a sum up all in one. It's there should be more action, and it should be in and in less time. So basically, yeah. getting getting the motion of the game going more while also can while also shortening the time of each game. 
Yeah. If, no, and I, and I think there's a, there's a there's a current generation of of younger baseball fans that you know it hasn't been that long, but I think they've. I mean, you know, maybe some people have almost forgotten the the fun element. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I keep going back to base running and things like that, like the, the the fun element of some strategy to the game, and I feel like that is going to help. I think it's going to make it more exciting, and even from not even a fan perspective, but just from a team, like I think it's going to help some teams when you're not. You know, when you don't have the Dodgers lineup, you could still find ways to win because it's going to be a little more, you know, a little more involved where you can, you know, create runs easier, that sort of thing. Yep. No doubt about it. And I think that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We have about two or three more of these before the season ends. So we have three more. Thank you, Andre. Again, counting is hard, especially at, 842 after you have the two, two weeks of the two weeks left of the season and then we'll have a kind of a season wrap yeah, the up season though. recap yeah and then and then we'll come back during the off season once we yeah. get it more a little closer to the winter meetings and stuff. yeah yeah and yeah during the off season we'll be recording when there is news to record probably won't be every week but right. maybe twice a month something like that depending on when the news comes and how much we have to report but for now This is going to be it for this week. We will be back again next week. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone.